This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 39 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we share some great horsemanship from the Western training world. And we have Lee and Hallie Hansen, people will know them, and Carl Bledsoe on sound training. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Welcome back. And for those that are just joining us for the first time, glad you found us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month. And today, I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. How are you doing? Hello, Debbie. It's nice to be here again. How are you doing? I'm glad to have you back. I'm doing great. We've been having some fun with Glenn, but it's your turn. It's my turn. Glenn has been whisked off to Tampa to participate in a podcasting seminar convention get-together. Lots of fellas and gals with pocket protectors is where he's at right (laughs) now. Oh, it's a a, a Glenn the Geek convention. It's a geek convention in a big, big way. In a big, big way. He lives his other life. He yes. jumps out of the horse husband world and into the geek world. Into the geek world. So he's down oh, there. He's going to be on a panel. They're all talking about how to make your podcast successful. So he's going to have fun with that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll be eating carrot cake nightly. Wow. That's kind of horsey, though. You know, that kind of blends both worlds. <laughs> See? It's got a vegetable in it. It's the perfect cake. It's a vegetable. <laughs> carrot cake. Right? That's right. And horses love carrots. Well, I get it. I sure. get the connection. Oh, yeah. Debbie. I wanted to give you a quick update on Pablo. <gasps> yeah. Pablo is the next door neighbor's horse who I bring right. in and out of the pasture every day. I don't really do much else with him. But okay. uh, poor old Pablo had a rough start in life in that uh, I don't think he had a lot of consistent or pleasant training. Uh, so he's pretty high strung and pretty mistrustful. Yeah. I don't blame him. So, so I've been trying to channel Monty and I've been trying to your, channel Your inner Atlas. Monty. Yes. Okay, and excellent. I've been working very hard at um, using my body language appropriately to not intimidate him because it seems okay. like a lot of his problems boil down to he's just intimidated by everything. Yeah, or worried about it anyway, huh? We're at yeah. least worried about it. He spends a mm-hmm. lot of type, time hyperventilating. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, were, we were joking the other day with his owner that he needs to carry a paper bag in his back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> A big one. <laughs> big one. And I've I made a breakthrough since I chatted with you last with Pablo. Good. Okay. Tell me. And as our guest coming up, Carl, alluded to, it's me getting better at communicating with the horse. I'm not saying the horse is getting trained. It's just me getting better at it. Very good. Um, yes. You're understanding the language a little bit more every day. That's better. good. It's, it's an immersion course. It's Trust an immersion me. course. And as he gets a little more confident in my ability to communicate with him, he goes, oh, you're going to talk to me nice? Okay, I think I'll, uh-huh. I'll try a little harder. It's very subtle. So now the days that he doesn't really want to get caught and get moved to the other pasture, because if he's worried about something, he doesn't want me to touch him. So if uh-huh. he hears dogs barking in the distance or there are uh-huh. horses in the next field running around, he doesn't want a human near him because it's just too scary. Yeah, okay, I get so, it. Previously, it was a little bit of, you know, zhuzh him around the field, get a carrot, find a bucket of grain, do something desperate. And now he's gotten to the point that I can just walk towards him until he acknowledges my presence, which was Mm -hmm. very hard for me because I was waiting for some kind of a big move when, in Mm -hmm. fact, it was just his ear turning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And as soon as (laughs) it's all you get, that's all I get. And he's very subtle. As soon as he acknowledges my presence, I can just quietly come to a stop. And sort of turn away a little bit and so I kind of stay with him. Would you like to come along and go to the other field, Pablo? And the first couple of times I got the knack of this and that I would stop at that first recognition, he wouldn't come with me. He'd say, no, 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 sorry, can't. But after the third or fourth time that I got the knack of the initial approach, he would start to come towards me. And now it's been probably a month since I chatted with you. He will pretty consistently... Say, oh, yeah, it's nice to go with you. And he'll come with me and walk over to where we get our halter on. And it was just very exciting. I kind of got goosebumps. That is. So you're not talking about putting the halter on at the moment. You're actually turning away from him, going soft, going 45, and inviting him to follow you. And he's following you. 
Yes, I don't put the halter on because that right. was way intimidating. Right. As soon as I lift my arms and face him, oh, scary. So, well, okay, we won't do that. I waited mm-hmm. till he confirmed that, yes, I really do want to be with you and I really want to walk with you. And That's then great. the first two or three times I would turn to put the halter on. Oh, too scary. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. You go away. You're allowed to. Mm-hmm. And we would kind of start over and I kind of got the knack of it. And it's, it's tiny, tiny little steps. He's getting a little bit more confident mm-hmm. that I'm not going to scare him. Right. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah, one of dad's favorite sayings is don't go out to catch your horse. Let your he- horse catch you. Yes. Right? Yes. But it's easier said than done so- on some it horses. Was, so. At first, it's getting easier for me now, too, because I'm getting more confident in the fact that it's actually going to happen. Yeah. Right? Because, yeah. you know, I, I had the tradition happening. of march up to your horse and stand squarely in front of them and put the halter on their head, you know? Yes. yes. I, I came from that. And um, this is such a different point of view it's very much i'm here and i'm i'm gonna hang out with you and when you feel comfortable i'm gonna be here for you and it's Mm -hmm. it's very different but it's a lot of fun i'm really enjoying it oh good i'm glad i'm glad you're playing with it because a lot of people are just you know impatient or they're just not brave enough to to get into their world a little bit but you know they so appreciate it when you do they recognize it they're kind of like Oh, you're speaking my language. I like it too. Well, we're going to have some fun today because today I bring you the Western world. And I know you're a pony clubber from way back, but you know, your, your host of the horsemanship or the horses in the morning show, Jamie Jennings has been, you know, kind of dominating some of the conversation between Glenn and I and and Arizona, and Jamie's been having some fun with the Equus Online University. So it's been a lot of Western. So I thought, okay, we're going to get some more Western in our world here. And we've got some really talented people that we um, we plucked from the Western world that, because they're so gentle and so good with their horses, but they're competing or training at a really high level. They're going to fall in love with these people. Let's get started. Yeah. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an Index Fund Advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Carl Bledsoe followed in his father's footsteps and became a horse trainer. And like his father, he spent every day working for customers who, uh, they were a little more into ribbons than horses. But today we'll learn how he made a sweeping career change. And now he focuses on helping people learn to communicate with their horses by understanding that each horse has its needs and it needs to be treated like an individual, just like humans do. Welcome, Carl Bledsoe. I understand you're all the way at a park in Tennessee somewhere. Where are you? In Centennial Park in Nashville, Tennessee. I hear music in the background. Sounds like a lot of fun. What's going on? Well, we're doing a... uh question and answer series here uh forming some public opinion about the uh padded tennessee walking horse mm. and and all the stuff that goes on with the padded tennessee walking horse and uh just a few minutes ago i finished a, an interview uh with some question and answers since i used to train these horses uh for show uh we had a question and answer series with a couple of reporters and uh just just doing kind of a uh uh, you know, a little, uh, a little informative uh, question and answer series. 
Yeah, I bet. I bet there's a lot of questions, and and I hope you have a lot of answers for the for that industry. Tell us a little bit about your background. We we introduced you um, knowing that you're a horse trainer, but um, what what was it that had you make a sweeping change in your career? Well, I just didn't see any future for the for the padded uh, performance type Tennessee walking horse. Um, those horses have been for the last 40 years under the, uh, the microscope of the entire world because of the training methods that, mm-hmm. that some of the people use to make them perform. Yeah, that's so, true. Uh, so I, I got to the point where the public opinion and, and the need for some people to actually win at all costs, it just mm-hmm. got to where I couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, you sound like a real horse lover. I mean, watching your career roll along now, I, I love your philosophies on training. I love how you um, you address each horse's needs, which is a lot like we like to do um, with trainers in, in, if you want to call it the natural horsemanship movement. But I see parallels there. I, I would love to talk about your breed a little bit because you mostly have been around the Tennessee walking horses. Is that right? Exactly. That's that's uh, my entire life. My father was a trainer, and I, you know, followed in his footsteps. And you know, became a professional trainer at the age of eighteen, and and of course, you know, eventually moved out into my, my own thriving business. Hmm. Uh, so, so, what is it? I, now, my my background with Tennessee Walkers is, is just really surface. But what I loved about them, the part that I learned was their their um, foundational reason for being in Tennessee. Could you give us a little background on those for people who don't know their history? These horses, these horses were bred uh, selectively. Uh, they have, they're kind of a melting pot of breeds. They have some American saddlebred, some Narragansett Pacer, some Morgan, uh, some of your single foot horses. And in the 1930s, uh, they started a breed registry. Uh, but the horses were basically bred for the ease of the ride. The locomotion of these horses, them being a, a lateral four-beat uh, right. traveling horse, the ease of the ride made them desirable for big plantation owners, uh, you know, to, to ride their plantations, their, you know, from field to field to, to, to check on the farms. Local doctors, uh, the locomotion of these horses, their stride is about three times the the uh, the length of a diagonal gated horse, so they cover quite a bit of ground per stride, mm-hmm. and and they move a little more swiftly, uh, without without running out of stamina. Uh, so so they were real desirable, and then they became a pleasure horse because of the ride. Uh, they mm-hmm. would use them, uh, you know, for trail rides for sport, and then eventually that they started you know making a, a show ring performer out of them. Mm-hmm. So that's really kind of recent history for as far as horses go, oh, because gosh. Oh yeah, I mean it's, it's it's been in the in the last century or so that that happened. They are a relatively new breed, uh, but but I will tell you that they have the best heart and the best mind of any of the breeds, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not I'm not throwing off on the other breeds. I just love this breed of horse because they can absolutely do anything that all the rest of the breeds can do. Um, yeah, with yeah. the with the ease of the ride and the ground covering locomotion. Yeah, it is beautiful. I have I've I've been able to, I've been privileged to ride some pretty nice um, examples of Tennessee walking horses, and I can tell you it is like a floating couch to me. <laughs> it's such a nice ride. It is that. <laughs> it is that. They- they are unique. Yeah, I hope people will try at least once in their life to ride. I mean, gated horses in general, but um, the Tennessee walking horse being a little bit bigger and too is is really a nice ride. I read a really really great I thought article that was written about you, and when people see the Tennessee walking gait. I wonder if they feel like the horse is on the bit a lot or not. Your article was about how you like to ride from your seat and that people should get away from riding on the bit or getting a horse into the bit. Tell me a little bit about your philosophy on that. Well, I will tell you the reason I feel that way is because I have so many horses that people bring to me that have been ridden into the bit uh, for some reason they think if they speed the horse up and ride him into the bit, uh, that it's going to improve his gait. Mm-hmm. It, it it doesn't improve the gait. It, it'll make the horse ride a little smoother for a short period of time. But then what I what I have found out, uh, the horse 
he kind of inverts his frame after a while and, and he's into the bit and you know, horses that their natural instinct is to be into pressure. So if you ride one into the bit and he doesn't learn self carriage first, mm-hmm. uh, the longer he goes, the more into the bit he's going to be. And then before long, you have a runaway horse. Mm-hmm. So, and, and people don't understand that, uh, little analogy that I use in, in my training at home when I give lessons, uh, everybody in the entire world has been somewhere and had a pair of shoes that were a half a size too small on their feet. Yeah, well, right. after a little while, the only thing you can think about is those shoes on your feet. Mm-hmm. And when you pull on a horse's mouth, after a little while, all he can think about is that bit pulling in his mouth. Mm-hmm. You've lost his mind. You've lost everything. That's a good so point. You have to you have to ride these horses in drills and teach them. And I'm not saying turn them completely loose. But you have to communicate through the reins and your seat in conjunction with each other to train these horses to 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 shift their weight to their back end into self carriage and to make their back arch uh, to carry you. Otherwise, their skeletons carrying you and not their muscling. And everybody knows what it's like to have a backache. And that's what yeah. we do to the horse when we do that. Yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah. so it's just not its just not the best scenario for the horse or the rider. You know, people buy these horses and they love their horse and they want their horse to last a while. But if you're doing damage to the horse's skeleton by riding him in an inverted frame, he's not going to last you any time. Mm-hmm. So you, you work on that top line. You get some strength and flexibility or agility in that top line. and. Yes, um, and I know that uh, some of the questions that get asked of uh, Tennessee walking horses in general, too, are about training aids. And how do you feel about training aids in general? You know, coming from the show horse world, uh, all the training aid is is a quick fix to get you by today. <laughs> um, you've got to get to the horse's mind first. And if you don't, don't teach the horse to trust you, then you cannot lead the horse. He will not follow you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the training aids, I don't, I don't put that much emphasis on them. I have people call me all the time. What kind of bit do you use to smooth your horses out? And I tell them I use a bit of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> until your seat recognizes that the horse is in self-carriage and the horse learns how to balance himself, without you managing his every step, you're not going to be successful with the horse. He has to make the decision based on his trust of you to raise his back up and follow you in the direction that your body is asking him to go. If you steer him like a car, he will be on his front end and hard to ride. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. So I love what I did on a Tennessee walking horse when I was there uh, in Tennessee, actually the first time I ever rode one, um, we got to go across this amazing ranch that was, you know, it would have taken me all day on a quarter horse, sorry, but it, you know, it was, it was, it was fun. It was exhilarating. So where, where do you see this breed? Now here's a breed that's kind of in flux right now. There's a lot of differing opinions out there. You, growing up with them, where do you want to take this breed? Where do you see – I know they're performing and, and they're competing, and I know they're great trail horses, though, too. What, what's, what's your hope for the breed? I'd like to see some high-level dressage horses before it's all over with because uh-huh. these, horses can, these horses can connect those dots and do that. That's and, interesting. And I mean, I mean high-level dressage horses that are trained the right way. That, that, that do it because they enjoy it and because they are in unison with their rider. Well, that, I think that's exciting because we would like to see that world also um, take some notes from some of the best people in the world. For us, it's Stefan Peters. Well, well, it's, yeah. well, well, well exactly. And, and, and where I'm going with that is to, to, to train that kind of horse, to have that level of horse, you have to start with the mind first. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to start with the communication first because all of these things that these horses do is a decision. If you have true self-carriage, the horse makes the decision out of trust to do that. You can't force them into it. Yeah, yeah, great. 
Well, Carl, we're so glad that you're out there changing the, the lives of some of the Tennessee walking horses. Is the, wor- is, the, is the breed worth saving? There's a lot of people who just say it should all just go away because it was contaminated by a few bad apples. Um, you know, what do you say to those people? Well, the reason that I'm moving forward with this thing when I decided to quit doing the show horse thing is I want to, I want to see the breed survive and thrive. Uh, I, I truly believe that, that these horses will not be in the show ring the way they are today very much longer. And, and there's a need for education because there's lots of owners with lots of horses that, that think that the only thing they can do is go around and oval and, and, and do the show thing. But that's so contrary to what these horses can do. And I want to, I want to help lead the charge past the show ring performer. I, I want to see that dressage horse, and I want to be a part of that, and I want to see that that competitive trail horse that that goes to these high level competitions and and is able to mix it up with all these other breeds. Uh, th- this horse can do that. We just have to change the mentality of the training. That's great. That's great. That's encouraging, Carl. We we want to help you do that. So we'll um, we're going to put our pom poms on for taking that Tennessee walking horse into a good place in this next 50 years. We'll be right behind you. Um, We're really excited because Sean's Omega Fields company has done something amazing for one of our test horses. His name is Cadillac. And we felt so strongly about it that, um, we definitely wanted to bring him on as a sponsor of Horsemanship Radio. And we wanted you to know that it came in that um, order first, is that we were so impressed with this product and with this horse's results that we wanted to have him a part of our um, our monthly shows. What is it about the Omega Fields product? Something's different. Omega Fields uh, was built around a really... Um unique and proprietary technology. Flaxseed has been known for a long time to contain rich source of omega-3 fatty acids along with omega-6 and omega-9 fatty acids in in a near-perfect balance. But historically, there was a problem using it. It's high in fat, and when it was uh, milled into a feed product or a food product, it, it would go rancid very quickly. So our company had developed a proprietary technology for stabilizing this high-fat flaxseed to make it usable, uh, give it a long shelf life in a natural uh, environment. We don't use any chemicals or additives to Mm -hmm. extend the shelf life or anything like that. It's a completely natural process. That's what makes our flax really different. Um, It makes it usable. It makes it nutritious over a long period of time. We guarantee an 18-month shelf life. So Consumers can use it with confidence without it going rancid that, you know, would potentially harm the horse. So quality of manufacture, every single thing in that uh, product, Omega Horse Shine, is food grade. It's made at a food grade facility with great care of product quality. Uh, The stabilization technology makes that Omega-3 nutritional value locked in and usable for a long period of time. So proof is in the pudding, so to speak, that it, it really works. You'll see dramatic results in a fairly short period of time. Lee and Hallie Hansen train and compete on barrel fraternity horses, and they have horses in their blood. They start four- and five-year-olds, usually now, into competitions, and they've honed their horsemanship skills into the championship level. They are trainers, agents, breeders, and competitors at the highest levels, and they love their horses. Welcome, Lee and Hallie Hansen. Hi, you guys. How, it's in South Dakota we're calling you, right? Yes, South Dakota. South Dakota. Now, you, you're originally from South Dakota. No, you're from Minnesota. Is that right, Hallie? Um, Lee is from Minnesota. I'm originally Lee's from South Dakota. Okay, there you I go. I ended up here because the life usually wins. Yes, and you're smart to know that. That's really wise of you. I'm so glad to have you guys on. We've heard so much about and watched a little bit of progress of your careers. And what I love about what I'm seeing is um, somebody who's competing at a really high level but loving their horses all the way. And you guys do a lot of, of training on young horses. Is that right? Is that right, Hallie, first? Yeah. Yes, uh, we do a lot of training of young horses, uh, 
we raise horses. So we actually train them from, you know, halter breaking all the way up. Um, usually if I'm riding a client's horse, I get them when they're like two years old and keep them um, through the fraternities, which would be either the end of their four-year-old year or five-year-old year. So lots of training of all different ages. That's great. That's a young man's job. That um, And I bet you see a lot of different training situations. A lot of horsemanship has to go along with that. You both grew up with horses. Is that right, Lee? You know, my dad used to take us horseback riding Sunday after church. And it makes no sense how I ended up loving horses as much as I do. We lived right in the city. And it was just kind of one of those things that was in my blood. And begged and begged uh, for my parents to buy me a horse and they leased me one when I was 10 years old and I could not get out to the barn early enough and wanted to stay as late as I could. And, um, after that, they knew I was serious and it all kind of evolved from there. Yeah, that's cool. It's, there is something about the blood or the DNA. I'm not sure which it is, but it's a consistent story. I'm glad to hear that. So how did you two meet? We're dying to know. Well, um, I had a client that I was riding for that lived, uh, over by Lee actually, I had first met him, he was kind of, I guess, back on the, he started in the fraternity scene, and uh, I met him in Arizona out of fraternity, just kind of briefly met him, and then later on in that year, my client um, was like, you really need to meet this Lee, and uh, so we were at a fraternity at the same time, and we kind of all went out to dinner, and um then I guess it just continued from there. (laughs) Ah, good chemistry. Oh, good. Okay, that's a great romance story. You guys, I watched some amazing runs by you you all. I went on YouTube and saw some fast barrel racing times. I saw some times in the 15s. I saw, I think it was Hallie on French Street to Vegas run a 15-444. Is that right? Uh, Yes, that was um, in 2012 at Oklahoma City, and I won the BFA Derby on him uh, that year there. So um, you're correct. It was a very fast time and earned us the world championship. Oh, is that right? That was so exciting. And that French streak to Vegas is an amazing horse. And I know you've got some, do you, you stand some horses that are in that bloodline. Is that right? Yeah, we, uh, we stood streak for a while, although we call Mm -hmm. French streak to Vegas, we call him streak and we will be raising some of his colts. And Hallie's actually ridden three of his full siblings. We have one this year that she just won about 10,000 on two weeks ago. And uh, she's won about 15,000 already this year. And then we have uh, another uh, full sibling who's a stud to French Street to Vegas that Hallie will run next year and that we will uh, we will stand for his owners here at our property for the rest of his career and his life. That's great. Yeah, that's great. You can really see the confirmation and the strength in that horse. And and Lee, was it Wyatt that ran the fifteen three three five? I saw. So it was a fast race too. I mean, fast run too. Was that um was that one of your better runs? You know, um, like Hallie was saying, they're all different sizes. I would say mm-hmm. comparable to that fifteen four that Hallie ran in the Coliseum okay. there in Oklahoma City. Um, I had a really good horse that that same year actually. Uh, he was a big gray horse. His name was Bobby Jean, and he ran a five and a six in that pen. And it didn't win us the world championships, but it won us about Bob won a little over twenty thousand in that pen that year, mm-hmm. running a fifteen five and a fifteen six. So uh, comparable. Hallie did beat me, as she normally does. Uh, <laughs> she snaked me out, but um, Bob held his own in that pen and uh, worked good there too. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love to see men uh, in this sport too. So now. Um, my dad, Monty Roberts, and I went down to Brazil, and we've watched a lot of um, the competitions in Brazil. And I was shocked that I never saw a woman ride barrel racing down there. It was all men down there. Um, is, is it a surprise sometimes when the men are competing? I know it's some it's non-professional. Or how, how does it go with the men in, in barrel racing here? You know, um, it's it's a little different in our industry, uh, and people get confused if they've just been to professional rodeo because mm-hmm. women are only allowed to barrel race in professional rodeos, and that's kind of what gets the most uh, publicity, I would say, in the broad scheme of things in, in our industry in the barrel racing. And so people are often surprised when they'll see or hear that I barrel race or train and race barrel horses. But actually in the fraternity industry, there's almost as many men uh, running down the alley as there are women. And I would say probably half of the top 10 uh, fraternity trainers of all time, uh, earnings-wise, are, are men. And so... 
there's quite a few men in the industry. Absolutely. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that's, it makes sense. I mean, there's so many trainers that are men and, you know, so many women in the horse industry usually is disproportionate in the training side of it. So that's fine too. Um, it, you know, cause there's a weight issue. I would imagine like in racing, horse racing now, thoroughbreds, uh, weight is everything. And so I was kind of curious about that. Like if men are racing barrels against the women, is there an advantage to being lighter? Um, I don't know who, you know, yeah, whoever wants to take I was that. eating chicken and asparagus for lunch and Hallie's eating a lean cuisine. And <laughs> we were both on the treadmill this morning. And, you know, so I, I would say we have to stay physically fit. It's not really an option to not if you want to compete at the, at the top level. But I would sure. say um, more than more than weight. I mean, yes, it's, you know, I, I gained 100 pounds. I probably wouldn't be as competitive as I was. But, you know, if you swing, you know, 20, 30 pounds either way of me, it's really more, in, in my opinion, and I'm probably speaking for Hallie too, how you, how you sit the horse um, mm-hmm. and how you like, keep your weight with that horse as opposed to like getting behind and then that horse kind of has to drag your weight with them. But if you can just stay in the center of your seat and just stay with that horse, like, especially when it's powering out of its turns, yeah. um, I don't think it's, it's as big of a disadvantage as, as you would think. But I think being fit for us, um, is more of even a mental part of being in the game and just staying focused and yeah. um, applying all areas of our life and mental energy, you know, to to get to that winning run in the arena. That's really good to hear. That's really good for young kids to hear too that are coming up in your in your sport too about the whole um, how you sit your horse, but also staying in shape too. And I wanted to ask Absolutely. you about that. Um, this this sitting the horse. Well, first of all, what makes a great barrel horse? Uh, I would say. You know, what makes a great barrel horse is first want to. They have to want to do it. Um, you can have a barrel horse that is bred to do it and looks the part, but if they don't want to, uh, it's hard to make them want to. Mm-hmm. So that's very important. Um, nowadays, bloodlines are huge in our industry. They just keep breeding um, better mares to better stallions, and we're getting, you know, better and faster horses. And mm-hmm. so that right now, bloodlines are huge for us uh, as well. I mean, I look at confirmation too. So, you know, you can always look at a horse and see if they're going to be athletic and quick on their feet and be able to perform to the top. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they, that perfect triangle where they really are, both ends are, are um, speeding around and then out of those barrels. I imagine um, the confirmation's huge. You know, I noticed a really interesting thing watching you both uh, compete is the leads. Can you tell us about your philosophy of lead changes through those through those barrels? Yeah, I leads are really important, and when we're when we're starting colts, you know, we we like them pretty broke. I'd say Howie likes them a little bit more broke than some trainers. They're, they're and one thing. I'd like to say for sure is listeners are listening about training their horses. There's really not one way to do it. You watch mm-hmm. some of the top 10 of Hallie's competitors, you know, that are in the winner's circle with her year after year and they all mm-hmm. train very differently. So it's really what works best for you and, and sure. the horse that you're on. But for us, um, leads are really important and really making sure I'd say that they're on the correct lead going to your first barrel, whether you go left first or right first, um, mm-hmm. making sure that they pick up their lead um, it just sets them up. Your first barrel is your money barrel, and if you blow your first barrel, you're going to be out of line for your second barrel, and you're probably going to blow your third too. And so, getting that getting that correct lead right off the bat is huge. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you're training them, you know when Holly's working the younger colt, she'll she'll lope around her first barrel and she'll break into a trot right away and make them pick up that left lead. And the earlier they can pick up that left lead right off their first barrel, if you go to the right first, I guess. Um, just the the more correct that horse is going to run across the pen. If they are switching their lead right at the last minute, right at the failure barrel, I think uh, you'll see a lot more cheaty horses come out of that, and they'll mm-hmm. be dropping their shoulder just because they're they're kind of throwing their weight to that inside, which you don't want them to do <laughs> until the backside. Yeah. Um, right. And so I'd say leads are pretty important, and um, getting getting them to understand to switch leads kind of right off the bat off that first barrel. Yeah. Um, yeah. as soon as possible is, is pretty important to set you up well for the rest of your run. I like what you said about incrementally starting at that trot, you know, and then picking up those leads. Cause that's, a you know, that works with their mind and gets them going. So Absolutely. that's a, yeah. Well, and a, you, yeah a good you, friend of mine always said, don't, don't teach a kindergarten algebra. 
you know, and right. I think sometimes that's where people <laughs> blow it. They expect these horses just to get it. And they, you know, I mean, that's how like Callie just said that she rides these horses for two years before she runs down the alley. You know, they, they don't get it overnight. Yeah, right. So for listeners who don't know a lot about the sport, and I, and I hope we're getting to introduce some new people to the sport, too, because it's a really exciting sport and simple, really. But you know how that goes. It's uh, yeah, the harder you work. <laughs> what, what, what are some of the training challenges that you commonly need to work through, you know, in, in barrel racing? Uh, some of those challenges, I would think, would um, be horses that really get into the bit for me personally. Um, you know, like Lee had mentioned, uh, everyone kind of has their own style, but for me, like a horse that really wants to lean on the bit and drop on the front end, uh, they lose all their driving power from their hindquarters. Mm-hmm. So I like a horse to be really soft in the face and drive with the hind end instead of, you know, like floating it around a barrel. Yeah. Uh, so I find that as a challenge because some people, um, don't realize how to get a horse really soft in the face and it can lead to a lot of problems later on, or they just don't really understand that that horse could be leaning on the bit just a little bit. And then it creates a more of a problem later on when you add the speed to them. Mm -hmm. And are you, do you work from uh, your legs for that? How do you get them off the bit then? Do you have any secrets? Um, Legs. I would say I use legs to drive, their hind end up into the bit so mm-hmm. like I'm trying to drive their hind quarters up um, like I think I think of it as being an accordion so when mm-hmm. a horse is like you know an accordion will go out and come in and I want that horse to come in together like it's um hind end driving from behind so I'm using my legs um, to drive that hind end up into its face yeah that makes good sense so barrel racing is is one of those I think it may be the only sport that where a horse is encouraged to run out of the arena at top speed, right? Do you, that, that confuses me as to how you get the horse to go back in the arena. So like, how do you, do you save that adrenaline for competitions or do you, do you have a way to bring down that adrenaline in, in a regular training session? I would say one thing that you do is, um, a horse only has so many runs in them. So um, a lot of runs in the practice pen is not something that I encourage because it gets horses hot and you want them to love their job, you know. So if you train them uh, to love their job and not go in there and work their heart out every time, um, a horse a horse is going to do what they can for you, I find. Yeah, yeah. You know, I Lee, watched. Do you have anything? Oh, Lee, okay. yeah, please. I think, too, what I see a ton is uh, similar to what Allie said, but but also different. Like, um, I think people just expect, and she, she alluded on it, and not only when um, when you're running your horse in the practice pen, but, you know, we'll go to, and we ride the younger horses in the fraternities, you know, so they're, they're only four and five. It's their first year competition, and we might go to 15 or 20 fraternities throughout the year, and they're all different formats, and uh, you know, some you just need to make it back to the short go. Some you need to ride for the average. But sometimes you see these people that just call on their horse for 110% of everything that beats through their their veins every time they run them down the alley. And it's just no fun. And I think that's one of the things that I so respect about Hallie and why she's been so successful year after year is that she's just not willing to jeopardize the future of the horse. And I, everyone in the industry knows it. And Hallie may not ride as hard aggressively as all of these, uh, some of these other fraternity trainers. Um, but her horses always end up on top because she lets them perform when they're ready to, um, like she said, a happy horse will do their best for you. And I think you see that come out of Hallie's program because she doesn't call on them for everything they have every time she runs them down the alley. I'm really glad to hear that. I'm, so I know a lot of people not just are. in the practice pen, it's in the pen too. Yeah. Very good. And, and I hardly saw, I don't know if I saw you guys pick up a crop once uh, in all the, the videos that I watched and the performances I watched. Is, what's your philosophy Rarely. on that? Sometimes I think like a horse, uh, in order to get them to run, you don't necessarily have to whip them to go, you know, but um, it's all on body weight and just like letting that horse come on as they can. The, the first couple months of uh, training or competition, they might not be there 
right in there. But if you force that out of them, they're not as eager to do it the next time. So I try to kind of encourage them, but not take all the heart out of them either. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. also add to that. I think you, if you watch enough people run down the alley with a whip in their hand, I think a lot of times it's just really distracting for that person and the horse. Like they're just not like their timing's really off and they're way too worried about whipping. And then they're, they're out of balance or they let the horse be out of position and you kind of watch it and you'd be like, gosh, you would have been a half second faster if you just put that whip down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it makes sense to me too. And the horse thinks backwards. I think when, when something's happening back behind them <laughs> rather than forward, yep. which is where you want their brains. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I watched in, in, um, in Brazil, they're training with four barrels. Have you have you ever trained with four barrels? I'm training now, not competing. I have not. Um, I do know uh, some other trainers that you know have exercises or drills with four barrels. Um, for me, I keep it the same pattern every time for the horse, uh, so I don't use four barrels. But I have seen other people do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Lee. Have you seen people use that before? You know, like I said, there's a lot of different ways to train and a lot of different ways to win. But if you think about the way that we do it and Hallie's philosophy on it and my philosophy on it, you know, I I think these horses are young enough and trying to figure it out. And Mm -hmm. the more solid you can make them by just doing the same thing every single time, I think the better they end up on the long run. Again, I'm not discrediting Mm -hmm. any drills. I'm not crediting anything that other people do. It's just what works for us. And if if you just logically peel that back apart, it makes the most sense because our horses are never running down the alley thinking, oh, they're going to be four barrels here (laughs) here this time. Am I going to be going all left this time? I mean, they they know that when Hallie runs down the alleyway, they're going to go right, left, left, or left, right, right every single time. Yeah, good. Good. Uh, you know, the sprinting nature of barrel racing, because you're, you're demanding so much in such a short time, that must have some of its nutritional challenges of its own. Uh, how do you look after the formative training years, which you guys work in so much with, with feed and supplementing and things like that? Am I Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I studied uh, exercise science and nutrition in college, which is actually right. how I got involved with who referred you to us, Omega Fields and Sean and Allie and um, you know, it, it's really simple. A horse that looks good on the outside gen- generally feels good on the outside. Now, you know, that, that analogy can break down and fall apart in a lot of different ways, but as a basic principle. And so when these horses are stressed and they have ulcers and that's not addressed, or if, you know, they're, they're getting hauled down the road really hard and their muscles are sore and they, you know, they might need a, a little work there or a little supplementation to, you know, help those muscles loosen up. Um, having the proper feed, feeding at the same time every day so that they, they know what's expected. They're not worried about when they're going to get fed. Um, so much goes into our feeding program, um, having the correct balance of fat and carbohydrates and starch and um, all those different things really, I think, set the winners apart from, you know, people that were two or three tenths out of it because in our sport you can be, uh, you know, you can miss, you know, making the finals and making 10,000 by a hundredth of a second. And yeah. so every little, every little detail counts. There, that year I had that horse, Bobby Jean. Um, he never won a single event, but he was second or third. And every time it was by less than a tenth of a second. And so every, yeah. every little bit makes a big difference from the training yeah. program to the nutrition, um, to, you know, the way that you handle them on the ground, to all those different things. So if you've been, you're a young guy, so you've been studying science in college and you're coming into this industry with a head full of good knowledge. What do you, what do you see out there that's formative that you like to feed your horses that you think is, you know, probably making a difference? And I don't, I don't sure. necessarily mean my brand. I, I know my Omega Fields for sure, mm-hmm. but what is it about the, um, the supplements and the science behind it that you actually feel is working? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Um, I think a lot of the horse industry, and you may never want me back on your show after I say this, but um, <laughs> it's just uh, it's just like any other industry, and there's just a lot of capitalists out there, um, yeah. and a lot of gimmicky, you know, feed this, and this will happen, and feed this, and this will happen, and so, um, honestly, we only use um, supplementation that has scientific research and studies behind it, and so we feed our horses, like, there's nothing new under the sun, they eat straight alfalfa, our performance horses, 
um, and they're on a well-balanced, um, you know, sweet feed that isn't too high in sugar. Um, we feed them all stabilized ground flaxseed, <laughs> which helps yeah. with inflammation. It makes their hair look great, um, helps their feet look good, uh, and keep retain moisture in there. Um, and, you know, like I said, supplementation as far as um, back-on-track products and um, yeah. polyglycan for their joints. And so, really, we're, we're not very gimmicky. And uh, we only we only use things on our horses that that is scientific research. A lot of these supplementation companies will claim this or claim that, and unless there, my recommendation would be unless there's scientific evidence and research conducted on the product, I would not use it on my horse. Yeah, good for you. And I, I wouldn't want ask. you to use it on yours either. Exactly. Thank you. And, and have you are you willing to taste your horse's food? Have you tasted your horse's food before? This Absolutely. is always break, make or break. Good job. The same plastic that they eat is the same plastic that I eat. Is that right? That's awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. There is a real horse trainer, folks. That's great, you guys. <laughs> and I have chewed on alfalfa just for fun to see what it tastes Oh, like. yeah. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Smells better well, than it tastes. Well, okay. That's true. <laughs> But sometimes if you're hungry, uh, you guys, it's been really fun. It's really fun to get to know you a little bit. I'd love to have you back sometimes too and, uh, and follow your careers. You're, you're both dynamo at what you do. And I love your philosophy about your horses. You love your horses and it, it shows, uh, and you have some really good horses too. So it's fun to watch that too, but, uh, we'd love to have you back. Would you come back and give us some trainers tips and do something in the future with us? Definitely. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We'll let you eat your lunch now. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for, for coming no. on. And it's time for our Good Horsemanship Tip of the Week. This time from Angie Shear, president and founder of Equus Medendi, Equine Assisted Learning and Therapy. Welcome back. Angie Shear, she's the founder and executive director of Equus Medendi. And we had her on recently to talk about her work in horses and veterans and a therapeutic setting. And we wanted to have her back sheet. Nicely agreed. Hi, Angie. Hi, Debbie. It's nice to have you back. You know, since you've worked with horses for so long, we wanted to put you in that special category of sharing a tip, a favorite tip. And I know that you work with so many horses, but in a real specialist field um, that they need to work with people that might not have been around horses at all or very much. And uh, I imagine that you have some sort of assessment program or tell, tell us what your tip is today. The way that we assess our therapy horses, we always start off with a join up in the round pin. And we do that several times, four or five times. And then we move on to some basic desensitizing to plastic, plastic coming at them, tarp, anything that could be coming from the environment. And we want to see the reaction and we want to help them uh, through that reaction. But Mm -hmm. I think most importantly is to Spend a lot of time with the therapy horses so that you know them so well that you know what they're going to do before they do it. Uh, I think that's, that's the key point is just really spending a lot of time with them in, in all different types of situations from trail riding to just putting them in pasture, playing with them in pasture, seeing how they react with other horses and just really, really getting to know their personality. That's great. So even in the saddle, which I hadn't thought of, and interacting with other horses, that's good too because they're not necessarily going to do that in the round pen, but that will reveal all those little idiosyncrasies, I guess, of their personalities. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. And we want to partner them sometimes in a session with other horses and we want to make sure that they get along and that we don't come across any surprises during a session. So Mm -hmm. they're very, um, we know our horses very, very well. Yeah, great tip. So for those out there who want to work with horses at all, that still is a great tip. Get to know your horses, get to know them on the ground at Liberty, in the saddle, and even in a field with a bunch of other horses. Great tip. Thank you. Angie Scher, founder and executive director of Equus Medindi. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at montyroberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University. 
you can transform your horse too. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in Melbourne, Australia, April 25 and 26, and then Shepparton, Australia, April 29, and then Canberra. That would be May 2nd and 3rd. And then he heads back home to California for May 13th. There's going to be a, a 6 p.m. webinar he's going to do with Carol Herter of Cavallo Horse and Rider, and we'll have lots more details to come on that. And then May 14 through 16 is his international conference of his uh, Monty Certified Instructors at Flag is Up Farms in California. Then June 5 through 7, we have Monty's Horse Sense and Healing, which is free for combat veterans and first responders diagnosed with stress injuries. June 25 through July 1, we have Monty's special training with a Portuguese translation running with that. And then July 6 through 17, there's Gentling Wild Horses course. That's open to all levels. That's at Flag is Up Farms. And then August 3 through 7, Monty's special training at Flag is Up Farms. Wow, that's a bunch. And you can see more at MontyRoberts.com or you can call 805-688-6288 to get Monty's calendar. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you will find links, photos, and information about today's guests. And as always, we love your feedback. So follow Mm -hmm. us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MontyRoberts. Or if you're a tweeter... You can follow Monty on Twitter at twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts and go get the app because you can have all the shows with you all of the time. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network and download it today. It's quick, it's free, it's easy, and you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go. Or if you're an iTunes person, you can subscribe by iTunes. Yes, that's all out there. And many thanks to our sponsors. Uh, you, you just keep supporting us, and we couldn't do this without you. And we're just so pleased to have so many wonderful horsemen come our way because of you sponsors. And be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. But until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs> <laughs> 